We put a lot of pressure on them this fall and in the preseason. I just made it a lot more competitive and, and every once in a while, I'll scream at them a little bit and that'll bring them together. That was BC recruiting coordinator Kevin Vance. He's our guest on the Base Path podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co-host Matt Feld. Today's guest will be BC Recruiting Coordinator Kevin Vance, who is in the midst of leading the team to a historic start, 21-6 and a top 20 ranking in the nation. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, you guys are 21-6 and six so far. We were just kind of looking over your schedule. You have four ACC series wins in a row, a lot of big wins at the beginning of the season at Pepperdine. How is how is how are things going so well for you guys on the heels last year? I know it was kind of a struggle. And now all of a sudden this year, you guys are top 20, 20 team anywhere you look. Yeah, it's been really fun. We found ways to win. I think it's a sign of a good team, both offensively and pitching. There's days where we can't pitch it and we the bats pick us up and vice versa. So it's been really good. We're, we're doing I think we're doing a lot of the small things. Well, the stuff that don't that doesn't show up in box scores and that's probably been the difference for us and then just <laughs> executing pitches better and 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 i think the guys are just a lot more confident and, and have been other bought into what we're doing and so credit to those guys for i mean to the players obviously for for executing and and uh kind of being all in on what we're doing the acc is such a gauntlet obviously every every team a, a consistent contender to to both make the postseason but but also mm-hmm. potentially get to omaha how big was the was the non-conference start leading up to leading up to acc play just from a confidence standpoint for your guys those those road wins at kennesaw state tennessee pepperdine just from a confidence standpoint that did you feel like that's been a huge impetus for your acc success so far no doubt it was it was a pretty tough schedule to start the year and playing tennessee midweek and and and, and Kennesaw State is a great program, regional team, Pepperdine, same thing. And it's been, that was huge. Just get the ball rolling a little bit and then have some confidence going into, into kind of the gauntlet that we have in the ACC. So the, the start is huge. It's, it's not always the end all be all, but it, it was really important, I think, for, for our confidence and just buying and just get the boys going on the road for the first six weekends. I think that's huge. Just. It's fun going to the hotels, being on the bus, on flights. Travel sucks, but we're doing it together. So I think that's a big part of bringing all the guys together for sure. It's interesting. I watched the the episode of Bird Ball. So basically, it's like a hard knocks type thing about the BC baseball team. It's on Nesson. And I was watching it the first episode. I think you guys were, I think it was probably the Pepperdine series. But there just seems to be like an enthusiasm, like when you see a team that like it, the vibe is just really good when you're watching BC. Like guys are cheering from each other for each other from the dugout the entire game. It just always feels like there's a good energy. When did you start to get a sense of that? Because that was opening weekend. There already seemed to be that kind of confidence and really positive attitude go- around the team. I'd say probably towards the end of the fall in the preseason, you could you could really start to see that coming. I think a lot of it was. We put a lot of pressure on them this fall and in the preseason. I just made it a lot more competitive and and pushed them a little bit to to compete. And what comes to that is them coming together through it. So I would say that was probably a big difference is us um, just being harder on them and, and holding them accountable to all those little things that I talked about earlier. And every once in a while, I'll scream at them a little bit and that'll bring them together. 
You guys have big time top end talent, Travis Honeyman, kind of from an offensive standpoint. Peter Burns is a veteran player for you guys. But I'm curious from your perspective, if there have been surprises pleasantly, of course, along the way, maybe big time production from guys that maybe you did not expect. That's really been a catalyst for you guys. For sure. I think Pat Roach is a really good hitter. He, he has a really good approach and has had some quality at bats. And Pete, same thing. I, Pete's at bats are elite every time, whether it's, it could be a 12 pitch out. That's like his worst at bat. It's been pretty cool to see. So yeah, I think having those guys around kind of our, our, our big guys that can leave the yard is huge. It's been a different guy. I feel like every game that's picked us up or got the big hit, Nick Wang, Peter Byrne, Pat Rowe. Trying to think of any other guys that are going to get mad at me for not saying their name, but um, Barry Walsh has played well for you guys. That's oh, Barry, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Barry's my favorite player. No, Barry, Barry's been really good. Yeah, it, it's a it's a balanced lineup for sure, and and that's good teams do is find ways to produce runs in every part of the lineup, and we've definitely done that, and, and in big spots especially. So, and that's the guys have each other's back, and I think it's the culture. Of who's going to do it? It doesn't matter who's doing it. We're going to find a way to win. Whether it's the A-hole or Ben's another guy who said a lot of, Ben Samini said some big time hits for us as well. So yeah, it, anyone can do it at any time. So that's the fun part. It's interesting to hear you say you were worried about leaving somebody out because going back to that bird ball episode that I watched, there was pretty honest discussions between the coaches. I don't know if you went back and watched it because you lived it. So I don't know that you would want to do it again. But during those discussions, like you're talking about position battles, a catcher, you kind of have that classic college baseball battle between Peter Burns, who's been there. He's a, yeah, I think he's a fifth year senior. He's been so productive in the BC program. Uh, uh, and he was kind of competing for playing time with Adonis Guzman, who is a big time freshman prospect who potentially could have been drafted last July. And you guys are just having a very honest discussion about like, who do we trust back there? Adonis Guzman might win a game for us. He might lose a game for us. Like that's kind of what you get from freshmen behind the plate. And then you're talking about, I think, Chris Flynn. Do we want him to be our Friday starter? Or is he going to be our Saturday starter? And guys are really honest about it. Like, hey, I would trust him over anybody else in a must win game. Is that is that something that you ever, as you watch it, l- looking back, like, hey, I don't know that I want players to see these honest discussions. You hear about coaches all the time saying in the NFL they don't want hard knocks to be with their team because they don't want the behind the scenes look. How did you feel about that? Yeah, it gets a little a little weird sometimes. They got a hot mic on you. What you didn't see is the game that I was mic'd up. They didn't use any of it because I think I swore too much. But those discussions, yeah, I mean, it's. It's real, and I, and I think that's a good part of what we got going is we can have honest conversations with players and give it to them straight. And so the stuff that they see in that in that show is not a surprise to any of them because we have honest discussions with them about what their role is, and I think that's important. I think that the more that each guy can understand where they fit, I think everyone wants to be the, the at the top of the order and hitting 350, and, and that's great. They all should feel like, they have that ability, but there's guys that if you're in the if you're in the nine hole, it's your job to get on base, and if you're if you're leading off, it's your job to get on base, and when you could you could describe every part of the lineup and what your job is, and so I think the buy-in there just be yourself and do what you're what you need to do to help us win, and whether it's okay to strike out if you hit a couple homers, if that's who you are as a player, if you're a power guy, then that's great, but if you're a guy that shouldn't strike out like you got to get on base and you got to be a really good two strike hitter and so those conversations that you see in the show are most of them are probably all of them are being had with the players as well so that's why it's uh we are fine with putting that in the show i guess 
when you when you have the start that you guys have had, and I, I really don't know if you can call it a start anymore, right? You're 27 percent of the season, but you're, yeah. But when you're playing the way you guys are, both in the conference and, and overall, and number nine or number six, depending on what ranking you look at, a top 10 team for sure. Is that something that you guys try to avoid talking about? Is that something that you were you kind of embrace the the way that you guys are playing and how well you guys are doing from a historical standpoint for the program? How do you kind of conflate those two while also looking ahead to, to big-time series at Louisville, series against Duke, series against Wake Forest? How do you kind of battle those two things? Yeah, I think it's something that you you, you got to talk about it. You can't just ignore it. And, and again, it's just being real about it. It's think about how we got to this point and let's continue to do it and do it better. We have a lot of things that we can improve on, but I think if anything, it, it gives the guys a little bit of confidence and like, man, we're... We're top 10 in the country. That's pretty cool. And we should celebrate that, no doubt, especially it's the highest we've ever been ranked as a program. So we're going to, we should celebrate it and, and use uh, as a confidence booster, but at the same time, use it to increase the buy-in and what we're doing and how we got here and, and focusing on winning every pitch and uh, offensively and on the mound, right? It, it's the principles that we've put in, in place. That's how we got here. So let's continue to do that and continue to sharpen it and, and continue to make adjustments and because that's how we've gotten here. So that's the way I look at it is is this process that we have going here, it's working. So let's continue to do it. And then whatever happens at the end of the day, it, you know, I'm sure we'll move up or move down at some point in these rankings. So, but all we can do is focus on winning every pitch and offensively and defensively and, and move forward and, and continue what got us here. You've been at BC now. This is your second year there? Yep. Yeah. Second year. Yeah. So I was gonna say the this year the one of the biggest impacts I think has been the tra- the guys who transferred. When you look at like Chris Flynn, he's been phenomenal. Like his numbers are better at BC than they were at Roger Williams. And then Andrew Roman has been a, a big piece for you guys this year <laughs> out of the bullpen. Nick Wang, you had mentioned he came through, won a couple of games for you, one of those series early in the year. Has as recruiting coordinator, has the BC recruiting philosophy changed as a result of more teams kind of using the transfer portal as a pull, a tool to build the roster? A little bit. We we've uh, obviously Flinny and Roman are have, have been our ace and our our highest leverage reliever, and and that's huge. The philosophy hasn't changed much. I mean, we got Henry Leak as well here for a second year, another another grad transfer. I, I think it's. It's something that we'll continue to do for sure. I think a few spots every every year. Or we'll never be a a full turnover, like just reload with this type of school. But I, I think it's we'll we'll add whatever we need, like a big need on the team, a couple arms and a couple bats basically and just to kinda lift the lineup and lift the, the pitching staff up a little bit. That's probably right around where we'll be in terms of recruiting every year and saving some spots. Um on the high school side and not making sure that we're not over recruiting because we, that's something that we're not doing and, and which has made it a little bit more rewarding as well. But in my view, kind of doing things the right way and not having a, a surplus of guys going into the transfer portal on our end, we're, we're being responsible with it in terms of our numbers. So a few, a few transfers every year for sure that will kind of fill fill the needs that we have as the recruiting coordinator as the season goes along of course high school seasons are starting up not just here but but across the country how is your job sort of split during your guys season between your actual of course day-to-day assistance and support for coach Gambino and and the rest of the Boston College staff as the pitching coach 
and also keeping an eye on kids that you guys are following. I mean, how have, how did that kind of get split up for you during the spring? It's a balance. You got to be selective with with where you're going out to to go see guys, and it's really hard during the season. There's only a couple days during the week where where you can really get out and and see a, a recruit. And and usually for me, if we got a bullpen for one of our starters that day, I'm not going to miss it. At this point in the year, we got to focus on our guys first, for sure. So kind of just pick and choose and, and others I'll, i'm sure i'll be out on the road next week to watch a, a high school game hopefully not like 10 hours away or anything but we'll, we'll we'll get out there for sure but the number one focus is our players for sure and our development uh, of the players because you know when you win it's easier to get recruits anyways so that's our focus is is getting our guys better and and keep getting some wins because that that when you do that you're recruiting already Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to baseballjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media, inspiring, informative, insightful. I wanted to ask you about NIL money. I know it's not as prevalent in college baseball or especially up here in the Northeast, but it just struck me that when I was watching the NCAA basketball tournament recently, it, I was watching one game and uh, Michigan State won and Coach Izzo after the game was like, yeah, I called a play for this guy. Hopefully now he can give me some NIL money as a reward for that. Like as if he's not getting paid and and the athlete is. And then I saw... um. Coach Corbin at Vanderbilt said, anybody that's interested in NIL money, they should go into the transfer portal and go somewhere else because we're not doing that here. And it just seems like coaches across a college sports, for some reason, have a problem with their guys getting paid. How do you feel about college players getting paid? The tough, tough question. Yeah, I mean, all our guys are, are getting paid six figures to play for us. So we need more of those guys to come. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, our, our guys are not getting paid a crazy amount. I think some guys just have some smaller some smaller things and that's something that we're working on as a school i believe or that's something that we're looking into and i'm not really sure where it will go i don't think many people do i'm not really sure i'm not sure how i want to go on record about the nil situation i understand it. i think it, it makes sense for especially for some of the bigger revenue sports baseball is obviously is different so there's got to be a line somewhere and that's something that will work for our, our our guys, to, if that's something that they can do, then great. Um, and that's something we're working on. But yeah, I'm not really sure what, what's going to happen. And I kind of just stay out of it and try and focus on getting the pitchers better. There's a there's a notion, I think it's fair to say, in general, written about, talked about, that because of these academic standards, it's much harder to get good players there, right? I mean, before you can even see if a player is interested in Boston College, you have to make sure that they can actually get into and then perform from an academic standpoint at Boston College 
can you go into a little bit that aspect of the recruiting process for you when you're when you're kind of analyzing and going after prospective student athletes for the Boston College baseball program? And does that place any extra stress on you as a recruiting coordinator when you're out there trying to find players that are the right? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's that's something that we'll always have, and it it's got to be a priority for for the kids and for the family. The value of the degree from here is is crazy good, and that's something that the player needs to value as well. We want guys that. I want to go to Omaha and guys that want to go to the big leagues, but at the same time, like you got to value the education. So yeah, sometimes it gets a little, I would say maybe tougher than other places, but I think it, the value of the degree here and, and the experience that you get with baseball also makes it easier. It, it's, and that's the other thing. I think a lot of, there's a lot of kids now in, in, in baseball, it, it's that are great students because they know it's just going to open up more doors for them and, and people are more aware of that. And so I guess there's more good students than, than you would think. And we have plenty of resources here to, to get them through the academic rigor that we have. And so there is a, a certain line that you have to reach when it comes to your grades, but we're looking for guys that are going to work hard. And, and at the end of the day, if, you, if you're not a 4.0 student, that's okay. As long as you're going to willing to put in the work, that's all. That's probably more important is finding the right personalities that are going to be able to work hard on and off the field in the classroom. I've got a question for you about pitching strategy that goes back to that discussion that you had about Chris Flynn and like where you wanted to slot him in the rotation. It always struck me, especially like in the ACC, you're going to probably face some guys on Fridays that are like top 10, top 15 projected picks in the draft, like just big time arms. Is there like a code in college baseball that you have to have your best pitcher on Friday? Or would you ever say, hey, we're going to put our like fourth best pitcher on Friday against their top 10 pick. And then we're going to try to take two out of three by winning on Saturday and Sunday. Like, have you ever set it up a little backwards that way to try to take two out of three? I mean, it kind of looks like that if you look at our scores. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's Friday is different. I think right now we got. We have Henry League throwing Fridays, and it's it's his experience and and his ability to to pitch in different ways. I think is kind of sets the tone for the weekend, and he's super reliable. You kind of know what you're going to get, and so Friday's different. But yeah, I would say everyone is different. Like you'll see better stuff on Saturday sometimes, or, or usually more experience on Friday. But we haven't purposely planned that or anything. Plenty we just we had him on Saturday, knowing what potentially be and he's really done it and I think I just look at it as like why would we move on because obviously we're kind of rolling and and let's just keep it the same so I would say some thought does go into that for sure because you got to manage manage the bullpen and and when you're using your highest leverage guys and that so plenty if anything plenty has been a really really good piece there in the middle because based on how he's done is we haven't can you use one reliever on Saturday and then have everyone back and ready on Sunday? So I'd say from a planning perspective, that's part of the reason why we would definitely have left plenty on Saturday because he's, he's going deep into games and makes all your guys available on Sunday. You guys are 5-0 and in rubber games of series this year with a series tied on Sundays. You've scored 18, 7, 8, 9, and 24 runs in those five games. 
Can you speak to if there's any work beyond just the talent they show on the field, beyond the approach that they take at the plate from an at-by-at-bat circumstance? That tells me that your hitters are pretty studious in the way that they kind of approach the opposing team's pitching staff. They're able to wear them down. They know what to expect if they're facing a reliever, maybe for a second or a third time even in a series away from the field, away from the on-the-field actual actions. What type of work are your guys putting in from a video and, and data standpoint to kind of get a better understanding of guys so that when they see them a second or a third time, they're confident up there that they know that what they're going to get? Yeah, so T-Hole has done an incredible job with the offense. I think there, there's been some stuff that we've changed. We're pretty aggressive on the base pass and putting on some more plays offensively and, and putting pressure on on the other team. But yeah, I think the it just comes down to having a plan and... and the second time you see a guy, the plan may change a little bit or you just get more comfortable with the plan. And yeah, it's been awesome, on, especially on Sundays, like you said, putting up runs. It's a lot easier to pitch when, when we're putting up runs and not every pitch is do or die. So that, that's been a huge help for the pitching staff is, is when we're putting up runs like that, it makes it a lot a lot easier to pitch for sure. And a T-hole running the offense has been amazing. He's, he's a lead at what he does. Coach Gambino kind of managing both sides of it with us has been great so i think that's a sign of a good team there's two to one wins where we're picking up the hitters and and then vice versa we're getting hit around and they they punch back for us and it's been it's been fun when when you see them doing that like man we just gave up a five spot and then a couple innings later we're putting up a five spot it just kind of rejuvenates the team and gets arms going again and yeah just to follow up on that from like a flip standpoint just there's so many runs scored in college baseball. Just that it's always kind of been the way the game's played. There's only ten teams in college baseball right now that have a below a three and a half staff ERA, and not that above a three five is 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 poor or anything like that. But still, it means it means the least teams are by and large scoring at least four runs a game. How do you battle with your pitching staff? Kind of going back and forth between yeah, of course you want them to be dominant guys on the mound. You'd love to throw a shutout or, or only let up one run every game, and also getting them to understand that if they don't have their best stuff, they have to learn how to compete to keep you in the game because again that's just part of the nature of how the sport is played i guess yeah that's something we talk about a lot for sure is, is minimizing and you're going to give up runs but we're going to score a, a ton of runs too so let's avoid the crooked number and and just focus on one pitch at a time and if they if they score one that's fine because we're going to score but when you start getting to those crooked numbers then it gets tougher yeah there, there's really no other way to do it other than focusing on one pitch at a time and, and and knowing our areas where we're throwing each pitch and throwing those with conviction. That's really all it comes down to, regardless of the situation. Bases loaded, three hitter up, compared to eight hitter, two outs, no one on. Like, it doesn't change. You're still throwing your pitch with conviction in the area that we want it. Um, and basically getting them to operate like machines is the goal and, and not let any of the outside factors affect that. And it does. It's it's natural for it to happen. But just getting back to the even keel and and focused on that pitch is the only the only way. You played you played college ball at UConn, and then before BC, you were the you had a five year stint as a pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. I'm interested about how you ended up at BC. Was it once they had that position available? Do they reach out to you, or is it more you of the uh, opening and they're taking resumes from people or how, how does it work in college baseball when you go from one program to another how did you end up at i had known coach gambino a little bit just from seeing him out on the road but i, I guess the way it went down was just he, he just called me I, and I, I didn't actively search it out or anything and but yeah it's just kind of 
you get the phone call and start talking and, and on both ends, seeing what, what each other's all about. And so for that one, it, it just, it was kind of random, to be honest. I, I was just coaching and we, we had a couple of good years and it was kind of in that still, still figuring out who I am as a coach and, and starting to piece together some, some good staffs. And I was, when, when coach Cambino called me, it was a no brainer. So in terms of what's, as you guys kind of head into the second half of the season for the next and and focus on the next six weeks or so, just from a pitching staff standpoint, what are some points of emphasis for you? You talked about just kind of the one pitch at the time mentality, but is there anything specific from, I mean, again, you don't have to give away your, your scouting reports on, on your following poor ACC opponents, but just some sort of points of emphasis for you guys based on the strengths and weaknesses you've had on the mound so far that you've kind of made a point to prioritize with the pitching staff coming down the stretch. I think going into the year, probably the biggest difference was a lot of the guys' stuff fighting plus pitches, having at least one plus pitch, and then in it quite a bit. Just makes it easier, makes your margin for error a lot easier. You have a plus pitch, kind of miss your spot, and still be okay statistically. That's been a big point of emphasis and, and development in the fall and in the winter and in the season. But we're throwing a lot of strikes, which has been just been great. I think sometimes we throw too many strikes, which is a, cr- a crazy problem to have. You know, like we gave up like 12 runs in a midweek and only had one walk. So our, our, our issue there is like, we're just throwing too good of strikes. And, and so that's fine line. You got to walk pun intended because you don't want to walk guys, but just execute with quality pitches and competitive pitches as opposed to just strikes, which is again, a great problem to have executing pitches and their pitch margin, what we call it again, regardless of the situation, the area that we're going at and let's rest in it. But there hasn't, that's the thing. There hasn't really been too much that we've changed, but it's just, Depended on each guy, there's a couple, maybe they didn't have their, their change up that day. And, and it, in season we're, we're working towards fire. Right, that's a pitch that we, and these are, these are areas in the strike zone that we need to be executing it. And sometimes you make adjustments there with based on, all right, like we thought it was in this area, but we're giving up hits there. So let, let's change it up. So little things like that, but it all kind of depends on each guy and what their strengths are and what we need to adjust for each guy. But the principles and like the core philosophy that we're going on. So just, just kind of making small adjustments with each guy and continuing to, to tell them we're getting to 0212 more die trying. That's it. Out of our, out of our goal. And then we got to put guys away better. But those core, core ideas of get to 0212 those will never change. Uh, but a couple grip adjustments or mechanical adjustments or mental adjustments, those are. Those depend on each guy. Last question for you. I had mentioned you played at UConn. They coached under Coach Serrato at URI. And then obviously now you're with Coach Gambino. Those are three of the longer tenured D1 coaches in New England and kind of coaching legends up in these parts. How would you or what are some takeaways that you got from each one? And how would you compare their coaching styles? Yeah, I, I've been really fortunate to be around some really, really good coaches and great I learned a ton and I wouldn't be coaching without being coached by coach Fenders as a player. That's a big part of why I'm coaching now. And and the whole staff that was there when I was a player learned a lot from them and they made it fun and made me want to be a coach. So I, I think a lot of the four philosophies and, and just principles that were instilled in me as a player playing for coach Fenders, I, I, I've taken them with me as a coach for sure. And then coach Serato gave me my first camp coach and probably one of the most genuine and, and liked coaches in, in New England and the country. 
just the, the perfect guy to, to be around and, and to, to grow as a coach and kind of, he lets you, lets you grow as a coach and helps you along the way and it lets you figure out who you are. And we had a lot of really successful teams there and, and that, that's, that's been huge for me. And it was a ton of fun coaching there. They're like family to me. So yeah, it, it's been, uh, been a good road and, and this year it's been one of the best for sure. Being with Coach Gambino and, and our whole staff here, we, we're really clicking and doing a doing a great job working together and and kind of focusing on our our part of the game and, and working together to, to get the W. It's been it's been really working. So I'm just I'm really fortunate around well throughout my whole career as a coach and as a player. Well, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to connect with us. I know you're in a hotel room in Louisville, so thanks so much for taking the time out during your road trip. Of course. I appreciate it. It's fun. Thanks, Coach. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Now we're going to take a moment for me and co-host Matt Feld to answer some questions. This is our three-up, three-down segment, led by producer David Yaz. Three-up, three-down. All right, gentlemen. We got three good questions for you today. First one, who is the greatest third baseman of all time? Dan, why don't you answer this one first, and then Matt will tell you why you're wrong. Okay. Now, <laughs> why don't you uh, go first? Yeah. This, this is an easy one for me. My favorite baseball player of all time, Mike Schmidt. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, so I was a Phillies fan. I saw my first game ever. He hit a home run. I remember that. I was probably about five or six years old. And he. I, it was one of those situations. It was like David Ortiz was like this, too, with the Red Sox for me. Almost every game I went to, they hit a home run, mm. and it was just one of those lucky things. But... I loved Mike Schmidt. I have signed baseball, a million baseball cards, all that stuff of Mike Schmidt. So he's definitely my favorite. Great, great answer. I went to college in Philly, so I got to see him play in the vet. Great player, terrible ballpark. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. brutal. Matt, you yeah. are wrong. And I don't know if I'd even call this person a third baseman because of how he started his career, but Alex Rodriguez is the greatest third baseman in the history of baseball. Mm. Uh, A-Rod hit over 50 home runs f- three times. He had a 600 over 600 slugging percentage on nine different occasions, and he won three most valuable players. He's got the steroid controversy. I'm not absolving him from that. I'm not one of those people. But still, A-Rod's talent to me, his raw ability in general, even when he was with the Mariners before his arms magically exploded, he had 46 stolen bases one year. Uh, I wow. think A-Rod's the greatest third baseman and probably actually underrated because of the steroid scandal the overall landscape of baseball history but he was a shortstop with the mariners that's fair (laughs) yeah but he needed to move over for a certain player on new york to play shortstop but what what do you think that he was unfairly singled out in the steroid crisis he was unfairly signaled out, I think. I mean, I think because of his attitude, by and large. Of course, did not get along great with the media. He had the back and forth with Derek Jeter, and Derek Jeter was beloved pretty universally by the baseball community. He was suspended not once, but I think twice. Then he had the whole back and forth with the Yankee organization. He kind of tried to rehabilitate his image by being the analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. And I think he, I actually thought he was decent at that. But I definitely think he's unfairly like outcast compared to the rest of the steroid community compared to how others are viewed. I agree. He... He also, oh, he continues to do some talking head stuff on certain telecasts. If he was a 10 as a ball player, what is he as a TV personality? He's like a four. <laughs> he, his, some of his takes are so brutal. Yeah. I don't mind him. I think I 
think he's like a seven. Like his personality wise is fine, but I meant more of his. My thing is like he he's ripping people for like launch angle and fly balls. I'm like you were paid all of your money because you hit more fly balls than anyone. Like <laughs> yeah. how are you ripping people for being home run only hitters? That's why you made four hundred million dollars twice. <laughs> yeah, like John Smoltz, he's one. Oh. He's a guy who rubs me the wrong way because when you're watching, you're like, where is the energy? Like yeah, no enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. Does, True. Does he even like baseball? Yeah. <laughs> That was a great Grand Slam home run we just witnessed. <laughs> yeah. Number two, Matt, why don't you take this one first? Other than Fenway Park, what is your favorite ballpark? Chase Field, home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I've been there once. I was there in April of 2019. Watched the D-backs play the, club, the Cubs. It was clean. It was spacious. They had a good crowd. The Cubs get a good showing when they're out there because their spring training facilities out there. So they got good fans out there. It was easy to get to. Easy parking. It was comfortable in there because they kind of pump in the AC because it's 120 degrees outside even when the roof is open. I was really impressed. Arizona was awesome. I've been to about 14, 15 different ballparks. That was my favorite one. Is that the one with the pool? Uh, that is the pool in right yeah. center field. Yes. Okay. You didn't you didn't manage to take a dip, dip in the pool. I did not. Yeah, I did not go cowabunga into the, into the pool. <laughs> Dan. Your favorite. So I've been to some of the newer ones. I've been to Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I have been to the new Yankee Stadium. But I would say Wrigley is probably my favorite. I like I like sitting out there in the afternoon. And there's so many afternoon games at Wrigley. And it just feels... I'm not even a huge Fenway fan. Like, sitting in Fenway half oh, the time. I agree. Yeah, you're like, where am I staring? I'm staring at the monster, like, trying to crane my neck to, to watch guys behind the plate but Wrigley for some reason it just feels special and I like afternoon games too midweek afternoon games so Wrigley I'd say have you been to Wrigley Matt I have been to Wrigley I, I like it it's definitely I definitely actually got more of the historical vibe there than I do at Fenway maybe I've just been to Fenway eight or nine ten times whatever so it's kind of lost on me I should say that PNC Park Pittsburgh would probably be my uh, my runner-up I've heard that I was gonna say I Beautiful. haven't been there and everybody says it's awesome I've been to the the one you mentioned, Dan, in Philly, Citizens Bank Park, yep. and they have their version of monster seats is just, I think they call it the left field porch, and for whatever reason, it feels like they're really good seats, even though they really are just left. It's, I think it's maybe <laughs> the angle, or they kind of hang over the field a little bit, and you can usually get those cheap, too. But they uh, have good food in that stadium. I don't know if you're like they have a Greg Luzinski has. Yeah. it's like pork and roast beef. It's all on one sandwich. You're probably like going to gain 10 pounds when you eat it. But I remember you have to like take a lap around the stadium and just check out the food at the concession areas. Greg, and, Greg Luzinski and Boog Powell should have an eating contest. Yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to allow it. I, I'm out of I'm, I'm out on Fenway Park. I really, am. <laughs> yeah. I'm really? I am. Yeah, no. So I grew up with Fenway and. Before the renovation, it was really a, a, a dump. I mean, it was it's ramshackle. We know about the seats; they're horrible. No place to park, right? But I once heard a talk by I think her name's Janet Marie Smith, the architect who did, was in charge of the renovation. And one of the first questions she got in this panel discussion was, "Why don't you change the seats and just rip them up and put in different seats?" And she had an answer. I don't remember what it was, but it made sense. It was something about how it was it was completely implausible. So you don't like that they've, you would have rather they tore it down and built like some retro park or something like that? I Matt. think it's kind of hard. My problem actually is more the access to the ballpark itself oh, well, on top yeah. of it being cramped. It's on a city block, which I understand gives it to historical alert, but it's it's not 1956 anymore. We've got to make it a little easier to do. One of the best parts about Philly is that in my experience there it was so easy to get in and out. There yeah. was like a massive parking lot. It's right next to CenturyLink Field where the Eagles play. It was so easy yep. to get in yeah. and out of there. Yeah, Broad Street is just a stadium, yes. football stadium, basketball arena. It's pretty cool. It's all in one place. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Rocky statue. Yep. Yeah. I think it's in, or maybe it's back 
in front of the art museum. I can't remember. Anyway, your final question for three up, three down. We'll pose this to you, Dan. What's your favorite baseball cliche? So I, I don't know if you would consider this a cliche, but my favorite baseball quote is, you don't save a pitcher for tomorrow. Tomorrow it may rain. Um, <laughs> I use that like outside of baseball. Whenever anybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to save this 20 bucks or something, I, I use that one. So Good one. Is that a cliche? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll chuck that up. To you'll, a you'll take that one. Yeah. Okay. Matt, you got one? Yeah, it's from a league of their own. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would be mine. People that throw their helmets and bats all over the place when they strike out or make an error, that just drives me right up a wall. It was invented in that movie for sure. All right, I'll give you just one each a baseball cliche quiz. Dan, if there is both a left-hander and a right-hander warming up in the bullpen, what do we call that? Oh, hold on. I can't remember. It's like... Uh, Matt, you want to steal? Is it like a gun reference? Yes, it is. Double yeah. barrel action. Yes. Double barrel action That's is correct. Is. That's what we were looking for. Yeah. How about this one? This one's a little harder. If the there's a pitcher who has a wild streak, and he has just walked the bases loaded, and he continues to be wild. In fact, he throws ball one, and now ball two. And, he, and the announcer says, well... And what does he say? High wire act or something like that? No. It, this is a tough one. It's meant to convene that it, this pitcher has put himself in a position, and now, no, there's no place to put him. Ah, oh, there you the go. The bases are loaded. There's no place to <laughs> yeah. put him. Oh, jeez. And how about when someone lays down a good sacrifice bunt? It's thrown out at first, and they say, well. He moved you know, the runner? Mm-hmm. Got the job done. That's it. Very good, Matt. He got the job. It's like family done. feud in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys both did very well on three up, three down. If you have a, a question for Dan, Matt, and anything having to do with baseball at all, and you want to submit it, we will ask it right on this segment. Email producer Dave at david.yas at siemensmedia.com. That's david.yas at s-e-a-m-a-n-s media.com. Thanks to BC recruiting coordinator Kevin Vance for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.